على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك الله We are in Surah Al-Ankabut and this is ayah number 7 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Surah Al-Ankabut is Surah number 29 والذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات لنكفرن عنهم سيئاتهم وَلَنَجْزِيَنَّهُمْ أَحْسَنَ الَّذِي كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Along with those who work and strive for themselves and know and understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is totally independent of their struggles and their work. He doesn't need them to do that but they need to do that themselves. Allah then gives them a promise and that is that if they believe those who believe and do good deeds indeed most certainly uh, we will expiate their sins and evils from them and then indeed most certainly we will reward them with the best of that which they did. So here in this ayah there is now the issue of reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the previous ayah, ayah number six, there is the issue of working for yourself. That you do it for yourself and not for anyone else. In this ayah Allah is saying that if you have that approach and you do good deeds with faith and iman, then Allah will reward you Although he doesn't need to. Means Allah is totally independent of all the worlds wherever anyone exists and lives. In this ayah Allah is saying, although he is independent, he is Al-Hamid, the one who is praiseworthy because he rewards people for what they do out of his generosity and out of his fadl, his grace, and his rahmah. So this is the understanding we have of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, what is his role with human beings. If he is independent, then why bother? And if he doesn't need our services, our sacrifices, then why bother? Then the answer is in item number seven that just as he is independent he is also exceptionally eternally gracious and generous noble and kind and rewarding that if you bring one good deed you will receive ten rewards for that one deed so now you have the correct understanding of who Allah is he is no doubt needless and he doesn't need anything anyone at the same time he is very generous and rewarding so that you understand that when there is a philanthropist a very kind generous person he doesn't need you to worship him or to praise him or to do anything for him because he has plenty he has enough but he will be himself when he gives you because he wants to give you, and so on. So likewise, although there's no comparison with Allah to any human being, it might be a step towards trying to uh, establish a world view for participating in good, and not participating in evil. Invariably, human beings, when they do good deeds, they may end up doing bad deeds along with it or because of it and so on. So there the premise is he will forgive people their sins and their mistakes first and then reward them. This is also through Allah's Fadl. So there are two now concepts. One is Allah's Adl, his justice, which is also eternal. And Allah's Fadl, his magnanimity, his generosity, and his bounty and his grace, which is also eternal. And this is the way Muslims must appreciate life that first and foremost they will be tested because they say we believe as I mentioned last week 
And number two, when they are tested, they should approach the test as they approach life in general. And that for everything they want to do in life, they sacrifice day and night, 20 hour jobs a week, 20 hours a day, no problem whatsoever. Studying 15, 16 hours a day, no problem whatsoever. For the sake of pleasing Allah, 24 hours should be no problem either. And if you do that, you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for God. Although your intention should be sincere, but it doesn't benefit Allah. Your ibadah, your sacrifice for Allah doesn't benefit Him. The benefit will come back to you when you meet Him. And this was mentioned in ayah number 5 also. The next ayah is uh, again with the remarkable and uh, miraculous uh, ordering of the ayat of the Quran. Uh, trying to find a link between the previous ayah and this ayah, and trying to find a link between this ayah and the ayah after it. Here we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now diverting uh, our attention, or perhaps uh, uh, making sure that we also realize and appreciate what others have done in order to uh, help us in our lives. And we have enjoyed on man and given wasiyah to man concerning their parents in terms of goodness and kindness. So the wasiyah and the nasiha and the advice we give to human beings is that they should be kind to their parents. Husnan. Why is that? Because they are the reason for our existence and they went through turmoil and struggle and made so many sacrifices for our existence, for our health, our well-being, and our education and everything else. So there should be an amount of husn there. Husn means there's beauty in the way and grace in the way you deal with your parents, even though you may disagree with them. So this is Allah subhanahu wa saying that, look, in, in the human construct, people sacrifice for others. And those who sacrifice the most, you must appreciate also with dignity and honor. This is just a normal human thing to do. It should be very instinctive. But since human beings will not appreciate this, and they will forget, Allah will send reminders. So the reminder here is in the word wasiyah, wasayna. When is wasiyah given? When someone is about to die. That's when you give wasiyah, right? It's a will. Here Allah is drawing our attention to the fact that, look, somebody brought you into life and gave you life. Now, when you leave the world, we are giving you wasiyah that both of you are going to die. This is our will to you. Now, when you die, make sure you have a good relationship with your parents. Hence the word wasiyah, and not nasiha. There's nasiha and this wasiyah. Allah is now drawing attention to the human being that he is not immortal, and he will have to account for what he does. So the account may start with one's parents on the day of judgment. That what did you do for those who sacrificed for you? So here the wasiyah is that you deal with them gently, nicely, politely, in a matter, manner of dignity and uh, decor that is noble, that is sophisticated, and that is human, <coughs> even if you disagree with them. If you disagree with them, or they force you to do something that Allah doesn't want, then what do you do? وَإِنْ جَاهَدَاكَ لِتُشْرِكَ بِي مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عُلْمٍ فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا And if they force you, جَاهَدَاكَ If they force you to do something uh, in which uh, amounts to committing shirk against me, Allah is saying this, that they say to you, you must worship other than Allah, or you must obey other than Allah, then, in matters where you have no knowledge, meaning it's speculative and it's not concrete, 
And then, فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا Do not follow them, do not obey them. Yes, they gave you life, but they're not God. So now, one is the Rabb, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the other is your Rabb, who are your parents, mother and father, collectively both, and independently also. So they have prerogatives over you, but they don't have Godship. They're not divine. So you have to draw the line there. So if they force you to do something that is against Allah's very specific order, explicit order, then you do not obey them, you do not follow them, you do not concede to their ideals, their ideologies, their theories, their worldview, and their advice. But you do it with dignity and honor and grace. As in the case of Ibrahim, as in the case with the other ayat that speak about parents. So, pleasing one's parents against pleasing Allah is not acceptable in Islam. The issue socially is that we have so many now young Muslims who use this to do what? To go to ISIS or to wage war against everyone in the Ummah and to say that this one's no good and this is no good and they take on reforming the Ummah as if they are God's sent uh, Jund and army against uh, Muslims and against humanity and they don't listen to the advice of their parents on this ticket that this is against Allah and His Rasul and so on so here the key word then is مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ where you do not know definitively. Ilm here means conclusive knowledge, not speculative knowledge of, or theory. Okay. Meaning it is conclusively proven in the Quran Sunnah through the Prophet and the Sahaba and the understanding of the Ummah that this is wrong and this is an Islamic. For instance, God forbid, if your parents are non Muslim and they tell you you must drink and you must eat pork socially for social occasions, then you cannot do that. You cannot override Allah's command right, to please and appease your parents because that is a sin. As the rule is, لا لمخلوقٍ في الخالق. There's no obedience to the makhluk, to the creation in the disobedience of the khaliq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the rule. But unfortunately it becomes very foggy, very confusing for younger people and also for parents where unfortunately parents uh, sometimes use the uh, uh, the blackmail whip the parental blackmail whip against their children so if you don't do this I'll never be happy with you again and what the child wants to do is basically do something that's very very halal in fact for wajib in order to save their iman and save their lives from total degeneration you have to weigh out the social. <laughs> it becomes confusing. What's the problem? <coughs> the problem is jahad. Ma laysa Where you don't have knowledge. So what's the problem? Where you don't have knowledge yourself. Then what do you do? So when the parents don't have knowledge of what is conclusive in Islam, and the children don't have knowledge of what is conclusive in Islam, then you have this confusion. So what's the solution? Solution is to acquire sound knowledge. This would not have happened a hundred years ago. The crisis of the ISIS and all of this nonsense. Why? Because parents, our grandparents and their parents and their grandparents had conclusive knowledge of what Islam allows and what Islam does not allow. That is the truth and reality. MashaAllah, alhamdulillah. Since we've been bombarded with anti-Islamic uh, phobia through the process of colonization, post-colonization and immigration to the West, we now question everything that is fard in Islam and we want proof for everything that is self-evident in Islam and if we don't find that proof then we create our own jahl, our own ignorance and we create a confusion around both the parent and the child. So there, we have to understand.
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is informing us, yes, they are your parents and you must treat them kindly no matter what their views are. At the same time, if they ask you and then they force you, that's why I translated the word jahadaka, if they force you to do something that results in committing shirk and it's all that you, they are asking you to do something that is unlawful in the eyes of Allah and Rasul, don't obey them. It doesn't mean that you rebel against them, but don't obey them. Don't uh, take the whip and say, you are kafir, or you are non-Muslim, or you are no good, and I need to reform you, uh, because Ibrahim uh, did not do that, although his father was a mushrik, as we know from the Quran, and so on. So this ayah speaks very loudly and clearly about the social uh, illnesses, diseases, and the problems of our community today. So that is why Allah then takes us back to the wasiyah. What is the wasiyah? You're both going to die. Both of you. Mother, father, son, daughter, grandmother, grandfather, grandmother, and a grandchild. Oh, you're all going to die. This is our wasiyah. Ilayya marji'ukum. It is only to me that your return will be. So I'll ask both of you. Mother and son. Father and daughter. Hey, what were you doing? Ilayya marju. I'm going to question all of you. Both of your hisab will be with me on the day of judgment. So this is our siyah. Hey, before you die, hey, fix this. Oh, you're going to die. And he or she is going to die. All of you are going to die. So this is why the beauty of the Quran is in the exquisite and accurate, precise wording that Allah says, وَصِيَّةٌ وَصَيِّنَا and then confirms it again, إِلَيَّ مَرْجِعُكُمْ It is only to me that your return will be. So now you decide who is going to be the judge on the day of judgment and decide for you who is right and who is wrong. Uh, we say who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَأُنَبِّئُكُمْ Then I will inform you I will resolve all of your issues and disputes on the Day of Judgment. So then I will inform you of what it is that you were doing in the dunya. So in this dunya you may feel that you have the edge over your son, daughter, or over your parents, but on the Day of Judgment, the judgment may be somewhere else. Justice will be served on that day, categorically and absolutely. So, in the struggle of life, we must maintain the social order by understanding the domestic order. Right? People sacrifice for uh, the dunya, the world, but they must understand that the domestic world is your cornerstone. You cannot overlook or just uh, uproot your domestic order because you want success outside of the house and outside of your parents, outside of your children, and so on. So, uh, be very fair in your appraisal of your life and in your, of your situation so that you are equal to both your domestic life and to your public life or to your financial life, whatever it is you are doing, your academic life. They go both in hand in hand. And this was the beauty of the the movement that the Prophet ﷺ brought to Medina that everything had to be in place. Okay. The treatment of parents towards children and the treatment of children towards parents was a huge discussion for the Prophet ﷺ. And the treatment of neighbors was even more huge. And the treatment of fellow Muslims and fellow subjects, citizens of the community was also just as huge, so nothing was uh, thrown under the rug, uh, so to speak. Everything was put in its place. Okay. If you want justice, justice must <coughs> permeate throughout society at every level. You can't be the champion of all human beings on the mimbar and from the mimbar and then be uh, a tyrant at home. Right? And you can't be a tyrant in the community and be the uh, knight in 
shining armor in front of your wife. That justice everywhere. Don't assume that you will not be questioned. And just because you have authority over someone, or you are subordinate of someone, doesn't give you the right to overrule Allah's ahkam. Those that are categorically Islamic and conclusively Islamic, where neither the Sahaba nor the Tabi'een disagreed with those issues. Then Allah reminds us again in the next ayah, this is the purpose of life for all Muslims, that if you get the domestic phase correct, and then you get your social phase even more correct, Allah will then allow you, those who believe and do good deeds, Allah most certainly says, we will most certainly allow them to enter into those who are pious and righteous. We will then say, they belong here and not over there. So there is a community approach to domestic issues also. What is that community approach? That all of you should end up in Jannah together collectively as an Ummah. It should not be that each family strives to be part of the community of Jannah. No, you have to do it individually and privately and you have to do it collectively and socially, publicly, also everywhere you are, you must ensure that people must reside in Jannah. That is our promised land. Promised land. It is not on this earth, it is somewhere else beyond this earth and beyond the heavens, and that is where Jannah exists. So, this is a social order that is based uh, on the back of domestic order. And if you can work that out, then you're okay. The way to work that out is to get people who are in the house on the same page as you in society, and vice versa. When Muslims uh, understood uh, that Muslims need to sacrifice for Allah and his Rasul and for the cause of deen, and they were on the same page, then it was not that difficult for people to sacrifice four months and one year and two years in order to seek knowledge and go away for the sake of Allah. But when that uh, culture was destroyed, uh, uprooted, uh, then everything evaporated from the minds of Muslims and no longer is it even the psyche of Muslims to allow people to study for the sake of Allah and to go out and say, I want to study for the sake of Allah okay? and not come back for five years or ten years. You say, that is ridiculous. What about my rights? <laughs> now, we have the language of rights. Post-enlightenment, excuse the expression, language of rights is my right. Sure, it's your right, dear. But my right is more than your right. Right? So now that, that creates a tension in the person who actually wants to do something. So the only way to relieve that tension is to rebel. So Allah says, don't rebel against your parents. Treat them with kindness, respect, husnan, this adab there. At the same time, if it's not haram what they're asking for, then okay, you can see the acquiesce and find another way to do what you want to do. But that does not resolve the tension in the community. I'll give you an example. If all the members of the community uh, were to be relaxed about the issue of marriage and not impose very, very severe and ridiculous standards for marriage, okay, then everybody would be much happier, I would believe. Uh, you can't get married until you have this, 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 and that. That is not in the Sunnah. Yes, you need to provide for your family and for your spouse and for your children. And you need a certain amount of standard of living, which is fine. But you must not reject the idea that uh, children, when they become mature and adult, they also have hormonal needs which is biological. You cannot repress that in the name of higher education. Okay? That is dhulm. That is severe injustice biologically, medically, never mind socially. Allah has made a system that is very normal in every human being. This is what people feel. When somebody is hungry, what do you say? Well, I don't think you should eat now until you, know, you have a PhD. 
And that's stupid. It's not even ridiculous. There's no sense in it. See, if the whole society gets together on one platform and say, look, whenever anyone wants to get married and they have the financial ability to do so, or if they don't, then we can help you as a family and as a community, then it should not be seen as what? Taboo to get married before the age of 30. That's the social responsibility that this ayah is speaking about. Those who believe and do good deeds, indeed will allow them to enter into the ranks of good people. Pious people, righteous people. But if the community standard is this way, then invariably, mashallah, once the child, in our culture we still call people, who are old child, right? When they go to college, university, and they do things what they do, then all of a sudden, ten years later, the parents find out, oh, you understand? You cannot expect to throw somebody in the deep end and say, beta, don't get wet. It's not going to happen. So, whatever standard you have, Make sure it's in the sunnah. Make sure it's relevant to the child and to the parent, both. So when you have this culture where the parents, children, the community, and society is on the same page, then it's easy, become, it becomes what? It becomes a cultural norm. When you distort the cultural norm, then you have distortions in people's behavior. Because people are people that are human. You cannot attack the biological balance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already created. It is instinctive. Right? And furthermore than that, there's another bid'ah, which is even more stupid, if not horrific, and totally unjust. And that is the idea of having the nikah, and then not allowing them to consummate until the rukhsati is done. Where does this come from? That's even more. That's like saying to somebody that not only am I going to throw you into the deep end, I'm going to make sure I take all of your clothes off and I'm going to give you nothing. I don't want you to breathe either. This is the height of stupidity that unfortunately our pursuit of the dunya has led us to. So, dunya, name, esteem, what's the community going to think? You have a nigga and no rosti. Ad-deen or Deen is simple. Islam is simple. You complicated life. Life you complicated. Islam is simple. And if there's a need and Allah has made it halal, and there are some abilities for the couple to get married, and everybody agrees, then Bismillah. Right? As the Prophet ﷺ warned. That if you find a suitable match for your child, right, then make sure you get him or her married. If you don't, the Prophet ﷺ warned us. Okay? There will be a huge widespread fitna, corruption, commotion, and a very, very big facade. <coughs> Huge facade. Distortion. And this is what we're seeing now. In the US and everywhere else where people do not appreciate simple biology. Very simple biology. You don't have to be a, <laughs> you know, a, a, a genetic engineer to understand all of this. You know? It's very simple. As I said, 100 years ago, it was simple. Uh, you do this, you do this, uh, you get married, that's the end of the story. Now, you want to earn a living, you earn a living, mashallah, alhamdulillah. Now, I'm not saying it's that simplistic anymore. You do need a standard. Otherwise, you won't have a life. Or you won't have anything. What I am saying is that the whole community must come together on this and say, now we are going to change our ways and our values and the world view. And for the lack of that, uh, for the lack of any other word explanation I can say, you know, which I don't say as a principle, uh, just for once trying to be American about the whole issue of marriage. Does this happen in American communities? Mainstream America? What are you? 
You're told misfits. You neither fit into the Islamic paradigm, nor do you fit into the American paradigm. So make up your minds, what do you want? You want to do a split? A psychological split, everything. So now, no wonder kids are frustrated and angry and up the creek without a paddle. Why? Because you have not identified your role in this facade, your role in this corruption, your role in this distortion. Why? You go, ah, I'm your father, you're my mother, and that's the best thing I can do. And you're not doing anything to contradict me. It's about me. So Allah is not advising us, yeah, you're going to die, he's going to die. Make sure that people are not treated unkindly, as uh, you don't want your children to treat you unkindly. Make sure that you don't treat your children unjustly. Also, that will be a fair trade, I would assume, and help. What I'm saying is that there is a certain amount of sacrifice that's needed, especially when one gets married, and especially when one raises children. Right? There's difficulty. There's no doubt. There's difficulty. So for the parent to advise you, there is difficulty, there is struggle. And likewise, for you to comply with your parents is also difficult. And it's also mujahada. It's a sacrifice you're going to have to make. But find the balance. What's the balance? That you, both of you, please Allah. Both of you follow the sunnah. If you're on the same page there, then life is much easier. And this was the community, the culture, the psyche of Muslims for a millennium and then more. We didn't need to change anything of that. It's not going to make us more civilized if we go against the Sunnah. The Sunnah allows us to be civilized. The Sunnah is our civilization. It is in our DNA, it's in our blood, it's in everything that we do and we say, and that is what makes us very sophisticated. Alhamdulillah. So, when the domestic life is in order, and the social life is also in order, on the same page, then life is facilitated. But when one is uh, now unbalanced, and then we, we, we don't see which way we want to go in the domestic life or in the social life, then you have the confusions and the problems of the Ummah. I, I dare say, I'm going out on a limb here, that had we addressed this issue 20 years ago, we would not have the confusion we have amongst the younger people of today. I dare say that. Right? We have to own up to our responsibility in raising a generation of Muslims that is not only just, but also pious. You're not going to go against your parents if your parents are very normal. Right? You're going against your parents. And I'm not saying the American norm. I'm saying the Islamic norm. Separate the two. There is an American norm which exists in the world today, almost everywhere in the world, the American culture pervasiveness, whatever it is, and there's an Islamic norm. Here, Allah is referring to ilm. What is your ilm? What is your yaqeen? What is the conclusive knowledge you have about what Allah wants you to do, and what Allah wants your parents to do, and what Allah wants your children to do? If you don't have that knowledge, then do not obey them. I'm not calling for rebellion against parents, nor am I calling for a rebellion against children. All I'm saying is that justice must be served in, at home and in society, both. You can't have your cake and eat it too at the same time. It will not work. Yeah. So, this is a test. As the ayah in the, at the beginning of the surah tells us, you will be tested. What is our test? Our test is being in America and uh, being Muslim at the same time. It's a test. It's not easy. Now, fortunately, uh, as the legal, okay, uh, legal framework of the U.S. exists today, mashallah, keep it that way and better, make it better, we still have absolute freedom to practice our religion the way we want to, as long as we don't disturb the peace. Is that right? Yeah. So why don't we practice our religion the way we should? Who's stopping us? No one's stopping us except ourselves. They're not going to say anything. No one's going to say anything. You want to pray this way, you pray this way. You want to have uh, now 50 churches on 50 corners of the same street? Be our guest. 
You want to do, the, you know, whatever you want to do. Have now 50 denominations in Christianity, and 50 more denominations in, in the Jewish tradition, and now, la hawla quduna billah, you want 50 denominations in Islam. Be obvious. Nobody is stopping us from practicing Islam the way we should accept ourselves. Because we want to define Islam in the context of the U.S., which is not a good idea. We are relevant because we express our prerogative to practice our freedom of religion. Right? Now the question here is what the eye is saying, ilm. The problem is not the deen, the problem is our ilm of the deen, the knowledge of our deen. Once we appreciate it, that is the problem, then we should start learning and teaching the way we should learn and teach, which is following the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad That this is also a test. Now, you might. I'm not saying that the Sunnah is about your outward appearance. I'm saying your Sunnah is about civilizational values. What is your civilizational value? Where do you get these values from? So we say we get these values from the Prophet Muhammad and the Sahaba who practice them at a very social level, uh, we must resort to that. Whatever the appearances are, they are appearances, but uh, the uh, worldview is what counts, that when I represent the institution of nikah in front of others, what do I say nikah is? What's the hadith that every khatib uses when he's getting somebody married, or two people married? What's the hadith? An nikah min sunnati. That's the hadith we quote. Why? It is a civilizational value. Nikah is from my sunnah. It is my value. And when you represent nikah in other civilizations, you must represent me. So we have a value that is the sunnah of the Prophet And nobody is going to tear you apart if you say this in public. I've been saying it for 30 years, Martin. Nothing's happened to me. Right? Why are you saying nikah is sunnah? Who do you think we represent when we are Muslim? We don't represent God, otherwise we'd be prophets. Okay? We don't represent America, otherwise we'd be kafirs. Who do you represent? You represent the Sunnah. You represent a human being who is the best human being. That is the idea of sacrificing intellectually. Okay? This intellectual sacrifice. You have to come to terms with it. Mental sacrifice, neither. You must come to terms with it if you're going to promote a salihin, those who are righteous. Now, those who are righteous, they're not cowards, okay? Nor are they going to be vicious, uh, nor are they going to be terrorists. They will be righteous, meaning this is the right thing to do at this time. That is called salah, where there's no facade, there's no corruption, and there's no commotion. So those who get together for the sake of Allah and follow the sunnah of Rasulullah at least at the civilizational value okay, platform, then they will be on their way to becoming from those who are righteous. And those who are righteous will now spread the word and spread the khair around them. Notwithstanding the human frailties and mistakes that everybody unfortunately is guilty of, that will happen. But just because human beings make mistakes doesn't mean to say that you bring the whole system down. If we were to now bring down the whole American system and culture and psyche and civilization, then we would have no problems doing so based on the stats. When you represent America, and you know the stats are what? Human indignation and rape and abuse and robbery and burglary and homicide. That's an American value? No, I don't think so. Does it happen? Sure it does. So just because Muslims say this or do this and this happens, you don't bring the whole civilization down because people make mistakes or people commit sins or people are criminals. That's just part of human nature and human history. So the Prophet did not promote Anything except that was khair for the ummah and khair and good for the rest of civilization, the rest of humanity. That is the appropriate meaning for as-salihin, 
those who are righteous and they promote that which is salih, uh, not that which is fasid. So it has to be correct and pure and good, not incorrect and damaging to other human beings. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ فَإِذَا أُوذِيَ فِي اللَّهِ جَعَالَ فِتْنَةَ النَّاسِ كَعَذَابِ اللَّهِ وَلَئِنْ جَاءَ نَصْرٌ مِنْ رَبِّكَ لَيَقُولُنَّ إِنَّا كُنَّا مَعَكُمْ أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِعَالَمَ بِمَّا فِي صُدُورِ الْعَالَمِينَ This also a world view of the Qur'an that speaks volumes to our situation today. That there are those amongst people who say we believe in Allah but then when they are hurt in the cause of Allah they now ascribe and equate the fitna and trial of people as if it is a punishment of Allah. Very clear, uh, very loud. It's remarkably revealing, exposing the reality of every time that invariably when people are tested as believers, they think and assume that that test is a punishment from God. Or this is no longer good enough. The Islam we have is no longer good enough, so we must do something to change it, and so on. Meaning their iman is not solid yet. Their faith is not firmly rooted enough that whenever the wind blows against them, uh, the wind shakes uh, their roots and sometimes uproot, uproots their roots, unfortunately. And if help and assistance comes from your Lord, they will most certainly indeed say that indeed we are with you. We've always been with you, we're proud to be Muslims, and Islam is the best. When things go wrong, you say, we're not with you. And when things go right, you say, oh, yeah, this one. So you don't want to do that. Don't move your goalposts. Right? Stay within the framework of Islam. You say, yes, Islam is a theory and a practice. The theory is perfect. The practice, as all other theories and practitioners of the theory, will fail because of human failures, not because of the theory and the system. Except that we don't call Islam a theory, we call it a deen, a religion, a reality and the truth. So when people are faced with this test, they will be expected to pass the test and not fail the test. So how come you guys do this and how come you guys do that? So they equate that as punishment and that punishment leads them, unfortunately sometimes, as you see in many young people today, that to leave Islam. The biggest fitna today is Muslims leaving Islam. In the hordes, Muslims saying we don't care for Islam anymore, it's too difficult, and we don't fit in, and we are social misfits, and we don't belong, and we want to belong, and all of that. So we say that is not a sign of someone who is straightforward, someone who is upright, someone who is brave, someone who is strong, someone who is courageous, someone who does not move his or her goalposts. That's a sign of tremendous weakness, if not cowardice, that you're running away from the problem, you're not solving the problem. You're not speaking or addressing the issue, you are sweeping the issue under the rug. And that is not something that we want to promote, again, as a civilizational value. Do Muslims have the prerogative to live Islam? Oh, it's called freedom of religion. No, it's not. You don't have the freedom to leave Islam. That's not your prerogative as a Muslim. You have the prerogative to come into Islam. La ikraha fiddeen. There's no compulsion in forcing somebody to come into the deen, but you don't have the other prerogative to leave the deen. It doesn't work that way. La ikraha fiddeen. Now you say, well, I'm a free man. Yeah, sure you are. You can do what you want. No one's going to say anything. In fact, the Quran also says, فَمَنْ شَاقَ الْيُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ شَاقَ Whoever wants, he may believe, and whoever wants, he may disbelieve. But Allah then says that if you disbelieve, you will be punished when you meet him. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. Right? Yes, as an American citizen, you can do and be what you want. But do you have the prerogative in Islam to do what you want? Don't. That needs to be stated to ourselves, to the community, to our children, 
that yes, you may be in the U.S., but you don't have all the so-called luxuries of the U.S., and uh, you have to be careful how you promote this value. There is freedom of expression and freedom of religion, but then you must allow Allah his freedom to do what he says he will do. There's something of divine freedom also, I hope, right? You're given all the human, all the rights to human beings. Violation of human rights. What about violation of divine rights? <laughs> that is why the Quran equates shirk with what? Dhulm. In the shirk the dhulm al-azim. Shirk is an absolute okay, injustice against God. That's the language the Quran uses. In the shirk the dhulm But God doesn't need us. No, but you need Him. That's the difference. He doesn't need you, but you do need Him. And when you need Him, He's the only one who's going to answer you for. So get it right in your mind first. So this, uh, this ayah, it says, um, you know, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests everybody. And those who are tested will be in two groups. Some people will pass and others will fail. If you, you know, equate your problems and issues and trials with success or failure, then you have failed. You do not make your faith contingent upon success in the world. Your faith is not going to be determined by what happens in the world. Your faith will be determined by who you are, what you are, when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you may be successful here, and you may be uh, failing here. That your faith in your deed must not change. Your faith in Allah must not change. It's all a test. So you have to make it easy upon yourself not to confuse the, uh, the, the worldly providence you know, with glory and fame and name in Islam and deen. Now, is there a utilitarian value to being successful in this dunya? Sure there is. There's no doubt. At the same time, there is also a religious value to maintaining your deen and maintaining your course in line with the Sunnah of the Prophet and that is the message here. Is not Allah much more aware of what exists in the minds and hearts of those people who live in different worlds? Allah knows what's in the minds and hearts of people. It is for society to develop an environment and an ambiance and a community and a social order and a social atmosphere within which Muslims feel comfortable being Muslim. If you create an environment where you say to Muslims you can do what you want, then you have not given the Muslim community security. You are opening the doors for insecurity and instability. You, call, you may call it what you want, conservatism, orthodoxy, whatever. But at the end of the day, it is creating an environment where all Muslims feel proud of being Muslims. And that is the social order. It's not a feel-good factor. It's much more deeper than uh, social entertainment. That you have conferences and lectures, which is fine. You must do that because you have to deliver the message and speak about Islam, the Quran, and Sunnah, which is fine. What I'm saying is that socially, at a grassroots level and at a domestic level, Muslims and Muslim families and communities must establish the platform of saying that you are good because you are Muslim. And your duty and your responsibility is to show the good, to share the good. But if you create an open-ended environment and you make open-ended statements by saying that we tolerate everybody and everything, that is not true. Theologically, we do not tolerate Jews and Christians. Politically, we do. We don't kill them. We don't assassinate them. We don't disturb the peace. We are kind and generous to our neighbors who may be non-Muslim but we do not tolerate them theologically. Why do you say they are Jews and they are Muslims? They're, they're Christian. If we tolerated them theologically, we would not have called them by the names of Jews and Christians or Hindus or Sikhs or Buddhists. Right? 
لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَالْيَدِينَ means this. you have your deen and I have my deen. You have your religion, I have my religion. Now we coexist socially and politically because that's the way Allah wants us to be. That is also Allah's order. That's not our order, it's Allah's order. So we won't go after people simply because they are non-Muslim. We're not allowed to. That's the order. We will not disturb people's places of worship and bomb churches and synagogues and destroy temples, which we didn't do in our history. But we will not say that they are what? Muslim. Do they not? Is that the bottom line? Why do you call each other Jews, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, what have you, and Muslims? Because you are. So you haven't given anyone the latitude to incorporate all the deen into one deen and make it a perennial kind of understanding of life. No, we, you don't have that prerogative because then that would not be Islam. It would be another religion which you're welcome to call it whatever you want to. But you can't call it Islam because that's not the Islam of the Prophet Muhammad And he was a rahmat al he was a means of peace for all the worlds, so wherever he went, people knew that he is calling to Islam, and people knew whether or not they were Muslim or not Muslim. But there was no injustice. Right? So in that broader sense, we will say that whoever wants to be Jew, Hindu, Christian, Buddhist, whatever, that is fine, but in the Islamic sense, we will not say that you are part of the same faith. You're not. If you were part of the same faith, then there would be no issues theologically either. But the Quran speaks theologically about every religion that is false. The Quran will not condemn other theologies if it was that way. Now, uh, this is the way of the American system. Also, that you're better off being uh, true and sincere to who you are, what you are rather than being disingenuous and say that we also uh, do this and we also do So we don't do anything theologically that is not in the Qur'an and Sunnah. And likewise, we do not practice our religious rituals uh, except the way of the Prophet Muhammad So the bottom line is that uh, this, this issue of being tested is universal. People before us were tested far more severely than we are. May Allah preserve us and protect us. That is a good thing because we are not capable of being uh, tested that way. So as long as we have this freedom and luxury to practice our religion the way we can, then we should do so without mincing words too much, inshallah. Allah helps and preserves, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. We will see you all soon. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, subhanakallah, alhamdulillah, ashadu Allah, ilaha illa, anta